morning. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see all of you, and welcome. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have given us our minds to consider you and to think about the things that you teach us to choose, as we just heard from Scripture, to choose life and to choose you. And this is difficult for us, not because we don't love you, but because we like to be comfortable and to get our way. And Father, we're asking for your power to rest on us, to reside in us through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Would you instruct our hearts and our minds through Scripture so that we could better choose you and choose the life that you've set in front of us. We pray that we would rely on your power because we know we can't trust our own. And that you have resources for us that are far beyond what we have for ourselves. So this morning, we again make the decision to lay our future down. And to lay our rights and our prerogatives down at the foot of the cross and into your trustworthy hands. We do this by faith, knowing that you see what we can't see with our eyes, uh, but faith sees for us that our future is secure with you. And so, Father, we ask for your help in doing this. By the name of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us in groans that can't be expressed in words, we pray. And together this church says, Amen. So this month we have been looking at what it means to be dedicated. We started the month with our baby dedication and we looked at three important stories of people who were in Jerusalem at the same time dedicating themselves to God. One story was the family of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Another story was the man Simeon who was dying Another story was the woman, Anna, who was ancient and bereaved. And all of these people were waiting on God to answer. And they were doing their best to love God with everything they had. This was the prayer that they said daily in their different settings, in the home of the dying Simeon, in the home of the bereaved and lonely Anna, in the home of the young poor family. This prayer was said every day. So let's read it again out loud this morning. We read it last week and we'll read it next week. Read with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. We're well aware that when Jesus quoted this scripture that he added the part about loving our neighbor as ourself from another place in the Torah as a translation. So Jesus describes loving God with everything we have as showing up when we love other people. But Jesus also, in the Gospel of Matthew, used a slightly different word than what we are used to seeing in Deuteronomy when he translated the Hebrew word me'od. In our Greek prayer that we have in Matthew, Jesus uses the word for mind. So when Jesus prays the Shema in Matthew, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Now, 
in Hebrew, the word meod is a little difficult to translate. That's why we end up with the word mind, and we also end up with the word strength in one of the other versions of this prayer. Meod is a word that means muchness. Everyone say muchness. Everyone say it louder and with greater fervor. Muchness. There you go. All right. Muchness is a way of saying, like the rest of this prayer, we are loving God with everything we have. We are loving God with every boundary of our being. Our heart, our internal selves, and our soul, our nefesh, our embodied being. So every boundary of my being, internal and external, is dedicated to God. But also, every boundary of my influence is dedicated to God. So whether my influence are possessions that I hold, or positions of authority that I have, or people with whom I live and work and play and, and go to bed and wake up in the morning. My influence is an important part of my dedication to God with my muchness. And so one of the ways that the boundary of our influence is translated is as our mind. The power of our choice. What we think about. Um, what we take action on. The power of our will resides in our minds. Oh, there are many things that are done to us about which we have no choice. Where we were born and to whom. Where we were raised and by whom. What we were fed and what we were taught in early years. How much we have at our disposal. Some of these things are done to us and are not our choice. But in every life there are some choices. And so this is what we're talking about today as we look at the prayer and we look at Deuteronomy 30 to see it through the prayer, we're thinking about what boundaries of influence has God put in your control today? What choices do you have? How can you use your mind? And before we look at Deuteronomy 30 again, I want us to admit something. I want us to admit that the responsibility to love God with everything can be a crushing burden. To love God with all the boundaries of your influence can be a crushing and almost an abusive kind of claim for a preacher to make because it could throw you into a place of guilt because every moment of your life, every second of your day, every thought that you have is not completely dedicated to God. For none of us is this the reality. And so this can quickly turn perverse and twisted, like uh, some kind of elite puritanism that says any flaw in your being at all makes you unacceptable. And so we want to stop short of that. We want to speak a word of grace along with this word of commitment that says none of us perfectly dedicate everything we have to God. And in fact, there are probably moments in your life that God considers more important choices than other moments. It's not that God doesn't care whether you have Cheerios or Honey Nut Cheerios or Blueberry Cheerios, which, by the way, is a thing now. I've got a box on my fridge. Blueberry Cheerios. It's not that God doesn't care 
It's just that choice is probably not as significant to him and to you in the long run as how to respond to your wife when you're angry or how to answer uh, your boss when they're clearly making the wrong decision or how to speak about the decisions your elders in the church are making when they're not in the room. These kinds of choices have more lasting impact. So let's look at Deuteronomy 30, not as a burden that you have to be perfect, but with some hope that God can help us to make better choices with our will in the moments that matter most. Moses, in his sermon, says this to the people, See, I set before you today life and prosperity and death and destruction. Now, on one sense, on the surface, this is an easy choice to make, isn't it? If you're presented with life or death, which are you going to choose? Now say it out loud. Okay, how about you guys? Life. This is an easy choice. If you're given the opportunity to have prosperity or for everything that you have to be destroyed, you're going to choose prosperity. This seems so simple to us. And yet, look at these words that I put in the brackets for us. Prosperity is the Hebrew word tov, and destruction is the Hebrew word ra. Now, while I've got you saying things today, just say tov and ra. I always make you do it twice, so just say it again, tov and ra. I don't even know why I make you do it twice. It's just it's a choice I make, you know. These words, these Hebrew words, tov and ra, they seem like they would be easy for us to choose, but we find in the first pages of Scripture that it's not that simple. Um, let me read verse 16, and then we're going to look at where tov and ra were introduced in the Scripture. God commands us through Moses today to love the Lord, our God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, decrees, and laws, and then we'll live and increase and for the people in this specific covenant, there was a land that they were given by God. And that doesn't apply to you and I directly in the same way. So we have to take some spiritual principles from this. But loving God means obeying the things that he's clearly instructed. And I think all of us know that this is part of the responsibility of the Christian life. is to read and discern and find out what God has commanded and to obey. Obedience is an important component in Christianity. Jesus was obedient to his mother and his father. He was obedient to this, his father in heaven. And so we can't act as if this isn't for us. And yet we know it should be pretty easy when God says do this and not this. That, you know, it's life. The other is death. This should be pretty easy. It's just not that simple. Because what we see on the opening pages of Scripture is that even if you give humans the most simple of choices, that we have a tendency to make the wrong one. So God makes two people. Life is not that confusing yet. There's no one to blame for how you were raised. There's no one to blame for how many resources you have at your disposal. There's no one to blame and say, if only in my childhood we had had, then I would be. Here's Adam and here's Eve, these first two people. And they, their parent is God. And their resources are, from eternity, this lush bounty of his garden. They work, 
But their work is like to walk around and pick fruit that is so ripe it's about to fall off the trees and eat it. And then it seems almost, if you're reading these early pages of Scripture, that they're to tend the garden. It seems, though, as if they don't have to sweat because sweat comes later after the garden. And so they must be, I don't know, planting trees by. They, they eat this apple, they drop the core, and lo and behold, a, a new tree springs up. We've gardened today. Life is good. And they were given this simple command from God. Of all the trees you can eat, everything that has fruit is good for you, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can see the words in the brackets. Everybody say it a third time now. The words are tov and ra. And sometimes it may seem problematic that we translate ra as evil because it doesn't always mean insidious, dark, obvious evil. Ra is not always murder. It's not always lust. It's not always theft. It's not always destruction. Raw is badness. It's the worst of two choices. And so here, Eve and Adam are presented with this very simple choice. To will to do God's will. And they can't. They were given a simple decision-making flow chart. Of all the trees in the garden, you may eat. Does the tree happen to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Then do not eat. Is it not the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Then you can eat. It's a very simple decision-making flow chart. Do you ever wish that you had one of these when you were facing a, a decision? Do you ever wish that you had God drop one of these out of heaven and tell you you're looking at these two jobs one is tov and one is raw, but you can't see into the future and you don't know which is tov and which is raw, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions to help you make your decision. Being a book nerd, the answer for me when I'm faced with the decision of to buy a book is always yes. And this flowchart on the screen behind me gives you the simple reasoning that a book nerd like myself uses. Do you really need a new book? If yes, then buy the book. If no, you must be mistaken, so buy it anyways. Maybe we think that with a good cheat sheet, we could do better than Adam and Eve. Here's one just for laughs for you. All of you who were alive and kicking in the summer of August of 1968 will remember when the Hey Jude song dropped. Someone took it upon themselves to make a particularly confusing Hey Jude flowchart that always ends with the word nah. Here's the problem with these kinds of strategies for willing ourselves into the will of God. We think that if we had a simple chart that we would just get it right. We think that if we knew Tov and Ra, good and evil, that we would make the right choice. But our hearts are deceitful and we don't make the right choice. And when we try to make these kinds of charts, we usually just make a confusing, cyclical justification of how we already feel. And we need something more. We need a little bit of humility. We need a lot of discernment. We need God who has these resources for us. And we want to we know how do we fulfill the prayer to use our mind to this end. How do we love God with all of our mind? So Moses continues. He says, if your heart turns away, 
I thought we were talking about our mind here. And when I think about using my mind, I think about all the kinds of faculties that my mind possess. Like I could read more and gain more knowledge. Uh, I could study more. I could um, choose to serve more. And people would love me if I served more and served better. I could use the resources of uh, theory and philosophy and critical thinking to determine what is the right course of action and then take it with my mind. But Moses says, what about if your heart turns away? See, I could use my mind to figure out how people would like me and then be the way that I would be liked. I could use my mind to be the most unique, to find a design or a pattern or a style that other people don't yet have and to be the first one to express it. And by expressing myself, maybe I would have some value. I could use my mind to collect experiences, to travel farther, to have seen things that no one else can claim to see. I could use my mind to uh, serve other people, to be loyal to them, to stick with them in a way where I'll never be alone. I could use my mind to get things done. I could use my mind to see your side of things and create peace where it wasn't possible. There's so many ways I could use my mind to try to save myself in my world and in my setting, but there's this penetrating question from Moses, but what if your heart turns away? And here's the problem with the mind separated from the heart. It's all of this is the internal self. When we use our faculties, we use our choice, we use our mind to try to serve God, and it gets separated from the heart, from the love of God and others, we end up serving ourselves. This is how we create those flowcharts that become cyclical and end up just reaffirming what we already wanted to do anyways. So Moses says, what if your heart turns away and you're not obedient? And if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them? And I don't know if any of the ways of using the mind I was just speaking about rang true for you, but these are some of the gods of our age. None of you are going home today, well, probably, at least maybe not many of you, to a little stone figurine of some kind that you've confused with a deity that you're offering some hot soup to or something. If you are, come see me afterwards. We've got some talking to do. But, but all of us are bowing down to these other kinds of influences I just mentioned. We think that our value in life is by living perfect and upright. We think that our value in life is by serving people or by collecting experiences or knowledge or by being the most fun or getting the most done or whatever it might be for you. And in this way, we are, we are mutating, we are twisting, we are growing out of proportion one part of our being. When God meant for our being to grow and to form to Christ step in step. So if I'm using my mind towards these other kinds of ends, I'm thinking that I'm very impressive. And God says, but I want to see if your heart is still in this too. If you're growing as a whole person, a whole being, head and heart and hands, all growing step in step. So he says, I declare to you this day that you'll certainly be destroyed if you worship these other gods. And this is what happens when we worship the gods of being liked and being the most unique and having the most experiences, is we can never be the most unique. Someone else wrote the song before us or wrote it better. 
Someone else wears it better. Or as soon as we've filled our closet with the new style that presents our own identity, the times have changed and the style has changed and we can't keep up. We can never be liked by everyone. Preachers are particularly known for being kind of softies and really getting their feelings hurt when somebody doesn't like their sermon. And you know what God says to that? Get over yourself. Do you know what God said whenever Samuel was all moping around because the people were like, we want a king? They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. This isn't about you, this is about me. Stop getting down in the mouth when somebody doesn't like your sermon. People have a lot going on. There's cancer. There's children that are living wild lives. There's marriages that are stressed and stretched. You think you, uh, Josh, you think that you have to answer for everybody on every given day and they're going to like what you say every time? Get over yourself. You will never save yourself by bowing down to that God. And so he says these things will destroy you. You want to you save yourself by having companions and surrounding yourself with friends? The moments when you're alone, you will be destroyed. What gods and what powers do we have that are twisting us? So many. And so God calls the heavens and the earth as witnesses in front of us that he set before us this choice, life and death, blessings and curses, and we're coming down to the heart of the matter here. But this is what it looks like when we let any of those desires get so out of control that it, that it mutates us. Paul writes to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Okay, when we use our mind, we use our faculties of choice, we surround ourselves with knowledge. And this is particularly a dangerous false god for Christians. Is to think that through Bible study and memorization that what we're doing, are, we're insulating ourselves against falling. We think that through studying or through knowing the correct arguments of Scripture that we are insulating ourselves against being the wrong church or the false church or a false Christian. And we can never do that with knowledge. We can partially attain it. We can get part of the way there. But if this gets separated from love, all of that castle of knowledge that we've surrounded ourselves with, years of memorizing Bible verses, has really, without love, only mutated us. So that we're walking around, uh, or really, we're, we look, we're swimming around. We're like tadpoles, all head, no body. We're like this guy from the original Star Trek series. This is what it looks like in our spiritual being when we've turned to the false gods of our age and we've invested in them with our choice and our will to save us. And some of them look so much like spirituality we can hardly sniff out the difference. This is going to take a lot of discernment, a lot of prayer. It's going to take reflection by yourself into the inside of yourself and ask, at the end of the day, is who I am really relying on the fact that God loves me and God leads me? I'm trying to obey the clear things that he's stated, no doubt. I'm also trying and looking for discernment for the decisions that I don't know how to make. I'm always looking for his guidance, his leading. I'm asking other people. I'm praying. I'm using all of the tools he's put in front of me to discern. But at the end of the day, who I am has more to do with the fact that God chose me than the fact that I chose him with my mind. 
Because whenever I try to perfect it or serve him enough that he loves me or be liked by people in the church, I turn into this kind of an alien. I'm hardly human anymore. We become mutant forms of ourselves so easily. And so Moses says to us, now choose life. And let's think for a minute on some ways that this could happen for you today. And and do not confuse any of the things I'm about to say with being the replacement for choosing God. All of these things only work if they're under God and they're done in love to enrich the family, the home, the community, and the neighborhood that God has put in front of you. Choose life might mean today you go home and you turn off your phone and you talk to your wife and kids for a while and play some board games. It's something that you'll remember 40 years from now. And and trust me, it doesn't matter how many coins and points and power-ups you collect on this week's app, you'll forget about it by next week. But the laughter when you play a board game is life and it'll be memorable. Uh, Choosing life today might mean that you get in the car as you leave church and you're getting ready to go to lunch and you avoid that typical decision-making map hazard of circular, you know, nowhereness that comes up when people say, where do you want to go to lunch today? Here's one of the reasons I think that this happens. Just trying to expose a little bit the way that we work and we think. We get in the car, we've had a, a decent sermon I'll say that. Just You don't have to say amen. I'll just think that you did. <laughs> we had a decent sermon and a good Bible class, and we fellowshiped a little, and the songs were pretty good. Overall, it's not been a bad morning at church. We get into the car with the family, and somebody says, where do you want to eat? Oh, no. Oh, and there's all of these tensions in the family, like, I don't want to be the first one to nominate something because then it gets vetoed. Here's what's really going on inside of us sometimes is that we have too many choices. We are rich. We are wealthy beyond our wildest dreams, and we don't know what to do with it. So the problem is is that you've got several dozen restaurants that you could afford to go to today, and several dozen other ones that might stretch your account a little bit this morning, but the truth is if you wanted to, you could just put it on the credit card and you could go there anyways. And with all of these options in front of you, we live in a nation of choice, an age of choice, and we're people of choice. We want to have it our own way. We are the Burger King generation. And the problem is, is we feel like we won't be fulfilled if it isn't the best thing I could have today. This is why we're so rich. We live in the constant pull of luxury. So it's so easy for us to go to a restaurant that we enjoyed the first time and not enjoy it the second time. Because it can never live up to that first perfect burger we enjoyed there. And we forget that today my circumstances are different. The first time I was at this restaurant and we were just having this glowing meal and the food was perfect, I was sitting across from this gorgeous and available young woman who happens to now be my wife. And so there was love in the air. The waiter could do no wrong. I wasn't really even tasting the food, right? It just, everything was. We go back another time to the restaurant, and today there's a child in your lap. They kick over a glass of water onto your jeans. 
the waiter can't do anything right and they don't know it's not because of them it's because of the water that you're sitting in on your seat you didn't sleep last night very much because the baby was up or you've been worrying about paying a bill that you didn't have to worry about before you bought this house that you couldn't really afford because this is what the spouse wanted and you're in these situations where you're just living in all of this angst and the there is no way in heaven or on earth that that burger could fulfill you today and so we sit in the car and we go nothing sounds good to me and it's because we have so many choices and there's one move there's one little play that kind of undermines that which is when we start to pray like the lord's prayer for instance and we just say uh, give us today our daily bread and something happens where we reset inside we've chosen god because we realize god is our life not the food not the choice there's no experience i could miss out on today that makes it not life choosing life means saying thank you god that there's any food at all i'm going to make the very best of it and today is going to be fine and that is not an easy move to make it is not an easy move to choose contentment but when we do we've chosen life okay so there's a, just a couple of examples of how this might work out it could work out in a thousand different ways for you today but this is what it means to be choosing life so that your children may live and you can love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him because God is your life. Not the experience, not impressing people, not serving people so that they notice you, not being uh, companioned, not being completely at peace. These are not your life. These are extras. These are gifts that sometimes show up in life. God is your life, and in him today, if there's food and clothing and there's uh, some charitable fellowship in the church, we have what we need. And that's an action of loving God with our minds. So make the choice today to rely on this source of life and tove and goodness. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Maybe for you this means today uh, sitting down and instead of Instead of trying to do the Bible in a year, it means reading a verse or two that's a life-giving verse, like this one's from Colossians 3, 2, 3, and 4 here, and simply for a couple of moments, breathing deeply and remembering going into a busy, hassled Monday that there's a God in heaven, and that you have a future, and that people love you, and that your identity is in the fact that God has chosen you. For you died. After all, who is Josh to be frustrated if someone doesn't like his sermon? To be put out because the food isn't prepared quite right or there's a hair in it. <laughs> Happened to me just yesterday in a restaurant. Who is Josh, after all, to be put out if the kid kicks water over in my lap? I'm dead. Died to myself. Buried in Christ. Raised to live in a newness of life, but I live in the oldness of life because I can't seem to get my mind into the newness. Let's work and pray on this together. We're hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we'll appear with him in glory. For now, let's live along with him in the moments of glory he gives us as we find gratitude for his daily provision. Let's stand and let's sing together.